three, two, one. Oh my goodness. Good morning, good afternoon. Whatever it is for you, I hope you're having a fantastic day. My name is Zach Schaumler. This is Strong Opinion Sports, episode 387. Welcome in. I uh, got a shorter episode today. I got sick during the middle of the week, and it kind of really threw me off. So here we are. Let's start with this. During the opening game of NFL Week 3, on Thursday Night Football, the Carolina Panthers beat the Houston Texans 24-9. to And uh, look, it was really not the, the best primetime game we've had all year. It was fine. It was a decent football game. Uh, Houston lost their starting quarterback, Tyrod Taylor, last week to an injury. Uh, so they played rookie quarterback Davis Mills. And honestly, all things considered... Shout out to Davis Mills. He played pretty well. Good, you know, solid rookie performance. Showed a lot of promise, I thought. Threw a good ball and made some good decisions. And what was really more impressive is he didn't make any big, costly, horrible decisions. Like, he was a guy who didn't do anything to cost his team the game, which is very impressive for a rookie quarterback. And I honestly, I want to see Davis Mills play more football. I think it'd be fun. It's fun to evaluate young guys like him. And I thought, honestly, like, he could be a NFL starting quarterback. Like, he really did a decent enough job to... Show some promise. Uh, now, we will talk about Sam Darnold in just a moment. Uh, but first, I got to say this, because I, I love Carolina. And if I had to pick a favorite team, it would probably be the Carolina Panthers. And the reason, it's not because I like the team. I like the people there. I really like their owner, David Tepper. He's a dude who, his approach is great. He cares. He wants to win. He lets football people make football decisions. He's also very happy to pour lots of money into the organization because he wants to win. Uh, I love their coach, Matt Rule. He's a guy who's very wise and has a, a great approach the way he cares for players and is very open to new ideas. Then you have the great offensive coordinator, Joe Brady. He's a stud. He's really, really smart. Uh, Sam Darnold's a good story. Like, the people in Carolina, to me, I find very, very compelling. And I love what the Carolina Panthers have going on. However, I know they're 3-0, and but it's a 3-0 where they played two rookie quarterbacks in three games. They played Zach Wilson week one and Davis Mills week three. I mean, and they beat Jameis Winston in between. I, nothing against Jameis. I thought Jameis was not the full problem last week. I'll get into that later in the show. Um, but I, I want to just slow down expectations a little bit in Carolina. They're winning. They're turning things around. I think the back half of their year has got a tougher schedule than that early part of their year. And I think a 5-3 and three or a 6-2 and two start is very realistic for Carolina. Next week they play at Dallas. I would be shocked if Carolina beat Dallas on the road against Dak Prescott, an incredible young quarterback. Uh, week 5 they play Philly, then Minnesota. Uh, week 6, week 7 at the Giants, week 8 at Atlanta. Like Those are some winnable games, and I think that a 5-3 and three or 6-2 and two start after the first eight games is a very realistic idea, but let's like the three and zero thing undefeated, like undefeated, like let's come on, let's slow down. They beat the Saints, which was a surprise. They they drubbed them, they beat the crap out of them. Uh, but <laughs> you know they beat two rookie quarterbacks in three weeks. Let's slow down a little bit on how amazing the Carolina Panthers are, and uh, just remember they two of their wins were against some of the worst teams in the entire NFL. Now also during this game, Carolina lost. Two of their best players, uh, you know, young first-round pick, a corner. J.C. Horn broke his foot. Doesn't appear like that's going to be a season-ending injury. He might come back later in the year, December, January, something like that. But he's out for a while. And then running back, star running back, let's be clear, Christian McCaffrey hurt his hamstring. Uh, officially, it's a strained hamstring. Uh, what that means to me is I think he's going to be back next week, the week after next. He's not going to be gone for a long time. 
Uh, part of me wonders, because the Carolina Panthers are so forward-thinking and very, very cautious with the way they treat their you know, stud running back, Christian McCaffrey, I wonder if they said, like, hey, we're playing Houston. They're not a great football team. We think we can win this game. We're not going to put our best player in a tough spot in a game that we think we can win anyway. Why risk your best player like that? I, I, I look at what the way that Christian McCaffrey ran off the field. He looked fine. I don't know. I just think a lot of this move was less that McCaffrey was really badly injured and more that the Carolina Panthers are very, very cautious with how they treat them, and they're not going to put him in any situation uh, to get hurt again. And also, again, I think they realized we're playing Houston. Like, if we need Christian McCaffrey to beat Houston, we probably have bigger problems. Now, Sam Darnold, the Panthers quarterback, looked really good. And I, I love saying this. I do not often brag. However, look, I... I called this. I told everyone that this was going to happen. In fact, I even predicted that Sam Darnold would go to the Panthers. And uh, it's a perfect fit. Him with the Panthers who needed a young quarterback and Joe Brady, the way they all work together, it's really great. Sam Darnold was 23 for 34 passing with 304 yards. He also ran for two touchdowns, one on a quarterback sneak, one on a keeper with his own read. And we are finally seeing what Sam Darnold is capable of when he gets good coaching. And I, I just like, ah, yes. I love seeing it for years. I remember talking about how frustrating I was watching Sam Darnold in New York, getting just like all this talk about how bad he was. He's awful. He can't do anything. And I'm like, look, guys, it's the team around him. It's not all Sam's fault. And now we're finally seeing how good Sam Darnold can be. And what's interesting, like another crazy thought I have is that I think Sam actually in the last couple of weeks has even missed a couple opportunities where, you know, there's one play against Houston where he had Dan Arnold running wide open down the seam, didn't see him open, didn't throw him the ball. And then later he slightly overthrew DJ Moore on a deep ball. And then last week there was a play, I believe it was on third down, where Christian McCaffrey's open in the flat. Sam Darnold didn't look at it long enough, didn't wait till he came open, came off too early, didn't see the guy open for a first down. Little things like that, like Sam Darnold is a young quarterback. And my take on all that is that he's a new quarterback in a new system. It's okay to miss a couple plays. And eventually, like that excuse is going to wear off as he gets older and more mature. And we would expect Dak Prescott or Tom Brady or, you know, the best quarterbacks in the NFL to, <laughs> and Dak Prescott, people think I hate on Dak. Like, I think Dak's great. Uh, but people, when, you, when you're an established quarterback, you cannot make those mistakes. However, again, even Aaron Rodgers makes a play occasionally where you're like, hey, that's a weird throw. He had, he had a play on Monday Night Football where he had a touchdown and he threw it behind a guy on a slant. Like, even Aaron Rodgers and Tom Brady make mistakes and have bad plays occasionally. But I want to see Sam clean up some of those mistakes and play even better moving forward. Now, what stands out most when you watch the Carolina Panthers offense, though, is just how many opportunities that Sam Darnold has. I mean, he has people running open everywhere. It's unbelievable. Like, watching Carolina is a... I just... The contrast between the Jets and Carolina is unbelievable for Sam Darnold. Like, with the Jets, I felt every game, there was no one open, no opportunities. Now he has so many opportunities, he can't even make all of them. The play calling in Carolina is unbelievable and has to get a lot of credit. Uh, the Panthers' offensive coordinator, Joe Brady is actually, I think somehow, like we're already talking about him getting a head coaching job. In my mind, even still, he's not getting the respect he deserves. He's a wizard. The way he calls plays, the way he creates matchups, uh, he's so good at making the perfect play call, creating a good matchup, getting people open, putting his players in the best position to be successful. Like Sam Darnold has receivers open all over the field all game long. And a good coach, their job is to put their players in their best 
position to do well and be successful. Joe Brady does that every single week. And if I were Carolina, I, I would already start feeling the pressure to give Joe Brady a big extension. Say, hey, we're going to pay you. We're going to make you the highest paid offensive coordinator in the NFL to keep you here because we know that you are a key part of developing our young quarterback, Sam Darnold. Like if I'm Carolina, I'm like, I'm not screwing around. I want to keep Joe Brady around as long as I possibly can. Let's pay him like a head coach if that's what it takes to keep him here. I, I remember, you know, Brent Venables, the defensive coordinator at Clemson, gets paid like a head coach. He's like the highest paid defensive coordinator in college football. I would take the same approach with Sam Darnold or with, with Joe Brady, excuse me. Pay him a ton of money, buy him out, do whatever it takes to keep him there because part of the Panthers' long-term success and viability depends on having Joe Brady there, making good play calls, and developing their young quarterback, Sam Darnold. Like, clearly with Sam, or with Joe Brady, Sam Darnold is way better. I mean, he needs that. It's a, to always be in the right play call and always have people running open and in a good matchup is an unbelievable advantage. And so the, the impact of Joe Brady cannot be overstated. He's an incredible offensive coordinator who's making Sam Darnold look even better than I think he actually is. And I think Sam Darnold is way better than people realize. So he's helping elevate Sam even more than I think Sam could be, if that makes any sense. Uh, although I still think Sam would succeed with other people. I feel even better with him being coached by Joe Brady. Uh, real quick, let's talk about the Texans head coach, David Culley. Uh, I remember David Culley the first time I heard his name uh, as a potential hire for the Houston Texans, I was like, who the heck is this guy? Like, what's happening? And I remember dogging on the guy because his name was not in the conversation with any other NFL teams. And he was the passing game coordinator in Baltimore. And I remember thinking like, well, Baltimore doesn't even throw the ball very well. Like, why are we, how was this guy getting elevated? And, and then last week I watched David Culley make a really weird call in game where they chose to, it just, uh, someone can look it up. It was like a third and 15. They got a penalty. It's just bizarre in-game decision for David Culley against Cleveland. And I'm like, I can't tell if David Culley is going to be a good coach. I just really, I look at what he's done. I look at who he is. I'm like, I just, I don't, I don't know yet. But what I can say is the more I watch and listen to David Culley as a human being, the way he interacts with his players on the sideline, the more I listen to him and observe him, the more I like him. David Culley seems like the kind of guy I'd want to play for. I mean, I really, I love the way he interacts with his players, with his young quarterback, Davis Mills, is getting in his head, pumping him up. Like, it really, that's awesome. And clearly, David Coley cares a lot about winning, about his players, about relationships. I like seeing that. And I, I again, I, I can't tell yet if David Coley is going to be a good NFL head coach. I don't know. But I, I find myself more and more just rooting for him. He seems like a really likable human being. And he gave a great quote. I don't know if it's because... He plans on retiring after the Houston Texans opportunity. I don't know if, I don't know what his plan is, but he said, like, I, I'm done being an assistant coach. He told Jim, uh, John Harbaugh, the coach in Baltimore, when he left, he said, You're the last time I'll ever be, you're the last coach I'll ever be an assistant to. So David Coley is getting to the end of his career. I, I think, it, you know, if he gets fired by Houston, he'd probably just retire based on that quote. And I think he's got, like, I got nothing to lose. I'm taking one last shot at it, going for my career, having this amazing opportunity to be an NFL head coach. And, um, I, I got to kind of admire the guy for his spirit, the way he goes about it. Um, and even, like I said, that quote saying, like, I'm not going to be an assistant head coach ever again. I, I think that's very telling that David Culley sees this as his final opportunity to make kind of a lasting impact in the NFL. Whether it works or not, he's going to, this is his last hurrah. And knowing that gives him actually an advantage to say, I got nothing to lose. I'm going balls to the wall. And I, I honestly, I really like that. And I just, I had to mention, like, I really find myself rooting for David Culley, the Texans head coach. 
Okay, uh, there are two more like little final notes about this game. Number one, Carolina's defense is really good up front. Like This is just numbers, but it does matter because they've done it three weeks in a row now. Week one, they only allowed 45 yards rushing against New York. Week two against New Orleans, the Carolina Panthers defense only gave up 48 yards rushing. And then week three here against Houston, they gave up 42 yards. So no team has run for more than 50 yards against the Carolina Panthers all year. Well, I'm just curious, you know, will da- the Dallas Cowboys in week four be the first team to get past that 50 yards rushing? I don't know. Uh, but certainly I've been very, very impressed with the way that the Panthers front seven has played so far this year. Uh, Brian Burns, there's another guy, I'm blanking on his name right now. Like just all over that defensive line, Hassan Reddick, uh, these guys are making plays and it's fun to see. I just really, I enjoy the Carolina Panthers defensive line and their front seven. They're making plays and, and really, I know them playing against not great competition, but against weak competition, they're supposed to dominate. They're doing that and I don't know what that means yet. We'll see how, how they play against a better football team, but so far so good if you're a Carolina Panthers fan. Uh, now, note number two, I want to give a shout-out to DJ Moore, Panthers receiver. He had eight catches for 126 yards. Dude is a stud. Uh, it's great to have Sam Darnold throwing to a weapon like him. I like Dan Arnold a lot. I like Dan Arnold, actually, in Arizona. Now he's their tight end in Carolina. I just feel very good about what's going on in Carolina. I don't know they're going to – like, I even put them on my list of teams that had no shot to win the Super Bowl this year. But I will say, like, they're showing progress. They look way better they're certainly not a you know a team that's going to be drafting in the top 10 next year. And if you're a Panthers fan, you have to feel very, very encouraged through the first three weeks of the NFL season. Okay, uh, let's shift to, this is the, I think this is the biggest story in the NFL this week. Justin Fields has been named the Bears' new starting quarterback. Uh, he will start week three against the Cleveland Browns. I am so excited. I cannot wait. Uh, this will be the very first game I watch when I wake up on Sunday morning. And I don't mind that Justin Fields is now the Bears' starting quarterback. I actually think it's the right move, and I'll, I'll tell you why. Uh, he's young. He's a rookie. He's absolutely going to make a mistake here and there where he'll throw a bad interception or who make the wrong read or get sacked because he doesn't see a blitzer coming off the edge. Like Little things like that. There are small details that Justin Fields is going to screw up. Uh, but I also believe that while he might take some time to fully develop, even where he's at right now, I truly believe that Justin Fields gives – Chicago the better chance to win rather than Andy Dalton would. Um, you know Justin Fields' ability to run around and extend plays it adds an element to the Bears' offense that they really really need at this point of the year. And I just think Chicago's going to be more competitive with Justin Fields as their starting quarterback. And I had Chicago starting the year zero and nine, and a lot of that was because of Andy Dalton's inability to escape a pass rush and run around and keep plays alive. And so. What Justin Fields adds cannot be understated. Like his ability to run, it's just going to really evolve that offense. And I can't wait to watch him. I think his first game against Cleveland's kind of a rough matchup. I would actually, if if I could like perfectly handcraft where everything would go, I would rather Justin Fields start week four against the Detroit Lions because the Browns have on the defensive line you know, a really stout group. They have Miles Garrett, Jadavian Clowney. Um, but I repeat that even with a good defensive line like Chicago has, and or sorry, like the, uh, the Browns have, Cleveland, and even though Cleveland's a really good football team, J- Justin Fields gives Chicago a better opportunity to win than Andy Dalton would. And if the Bears win, celebrate, be very, very happy. If they lose to Cleveland, don't panic. Cleveland's a better football team. But again, I would rather Justin start week four. But the, things didn't work out that way. He got, you know, Andy Dalton got hurt. They put Justin Fields in. 
they gathered momentum. I think the team is behind him. It would feel weird, I think, for that locker room to go backwards to Andy Dalton when I think the locker room clearly is behind Justin Fields. And I just got to say, like, I, it's weird. He's a rookie. He's not fully ready. He's going to make mistakes. But in spite of all that, I really like starting Justin Fields over Andy Dalton. I can't wait to watch. And I actually think that Justin Fields gives Chicago a better opportunity to win because of his legs. All right, guys, I'm going to take a short break. When I return, uh, coming up, we have the top storylines for NFL Week 3, and then we will finish the show with Ask Zach. My name is Zach Schaumler. I will, I'm going to take a short break. I will be right back. All right, we are back. Hope you're doing very, very well. Let's jump in and talk about the NFL Week 3. There are nine storylines I cannot wait to see play out during NFL Week 3. Number one is this, rookie quarterback Justin Fields is getting his first ever NFL start. He will do it against Cleveland. And I cannot wait to watch this game. It's going to be awesome. It will be the first thing I watch when I wake up on Sunday. Cleveland probably wins. Uh, However, I think Justin Fields gives Chicago a more competitive opportunity against a good team like Cleveland, who's got a great pass rush and get after the quarterback. I think maybe Justin Fields makes magic happen, but the question really is, Not necessarily will Chicago win or not, but will Justin Fields give Chicago a better opportunity than Andy Dalton would? I think that's what we're going to see play out in week three. I cannot wait to watch Justin Fields making his first ever NFL start. It's going to be a really, really fun watch. Number two, Buccaneers at Rams. Two great teams. Honestly, I'm shocked that it's not the Sunday night football game this week. I believe this could be a preview of the NFC title game. Got Brady versus Stafford. Should be really fun. A great matchup. Two good coaches, two good rosters. I really think this could be the game we see in January to get into the Super Bowl. And keep your eye on this game. I think it's a really, really good matchup. Number three, Saints at Patriots. I think New England probably wins this football game. But here's the story. Which Saints team will we see in week three? Will it be the team that dominated Packers week one? Or will it be the one that got dominated by Carolina in week two? I don't know. I have no idea what to expect from the New Orleans Saints this week. Uh, Jameis Winston, their starting quarterback, had two just awful interceptions last week against Carolina. Now, I will say that his interceptions came later in the game, once they were already down 17 to nothing, down by a lot. Uh, He did not create Carolina's big lead. He actually was trying to overcome that and make big plays. That's why he was forcing throws into coverage, making terrible decisions, but... I just, I don't know, man. I really don't know what to expect from New Orleans this week. It's not that crazy to think that your team will take on the personality of your starting quarterback. It seems like New Orleans definitely has. And because of that, I just have no idea what to expect from their football team. Now, number four, Monday night football is going to be fantastic. It's the Eagles at the Cowboys. We get to watch Dak Prescott do his thing, one of the best quarterbacks in the NFL. Uh, However, Dallas does have some injuries. And so... Not only, you know, that paired with the fact that I think Philly played really well last week. I watched that game against the 49ers, and Philly probably should have beat the 49ers. I mean, they had a couple weird play calls that cost them, but the Eagles are not bad. Like, they're actually very, very competitive, and I think Philly has a real shot here. So I'm hoping for a fun and close game. The Cowboys probably win. They're at home. I think they have a slightly better quarterback. And slightly, I think, much better. Dak is outstanding. Um, but I just... I don't know, man. I, I, I think the only two outcomes of this football game are either Dallas wins by a lot or it's a close game. The outcome I do not expect is Philly winning by like 35 points. I just don't see that happening. Uh, but I, I am hoping for a really close, really fun game on Monday night. Number five, the Colts are 0-2. 
Then they're playing at Tennessee this week in week three. Indy cannot afford to start 0-3. Their quarterback, Carson Wentz, is out. Oh, we don't know if he's out, actually, but he's not been practicing. And so the question is, will Carson Wentz play this week in a must-win scenario? I thought it was pretty weird he didn't play at the end of last week's game in a key moment with a a drive where they could have won the game or tied the game up. And so based on that, I wonder, like, is Carson Wentz the kind of guy who's going to play in a must-win situation? I I just don't know. Uh, He seems like the kind of guy who, if he's not sure if he's good, he's going to sit out and wait. So I don't know. Will the Colts start 0-3? That's the storyline here. And uh, will Carson Wentz play? I have no idea. I hope he does, but I, man, uh, a team that, uh, sorry, a quarterback that has a question of injuries already does not seem like, it doesn't seem like a good move for him to sit out and not play if he's capable of playing. All he will do is reinforce a lot of people's doubts about him, but I don't know. I I just, I I personally hope for the Colts' sake that their starting quarterback will play this week at Tennessee. Number six, Chargers at Kansas City. This should be an outstanding game. It is a big AFC West battle, Justin Herbert against Patrick Mahomes. And I got to say, it's hard to imagine Kansas City losing two games in a row but it still could happen. And so it should be a great matchup. Chargers at Kansas City, going to be a really fun game in week three. Number seven, Dolphins at Raiders. Uh, Miami's quarterback, Tua, is out with fractured ribs. And it really sucks he won't play because people don't realize, you know, Vegas is considered Hawaii's ninth island. And so there's going to be a lot of Tua fans in the stands this week, whether they're rooting for Miami or the Raiders. And so I'm pretty sad that Tua's not going to play. Uh, here's the story, though. The Raiders have an opportunity now to start 3-0 and this year, and that's a big deal. I'm very excited for the Raiders, so keep your eye on that. Will the Raiders start 3-0? and That is the story from this football game. Number eight, Seahawks at Vikings. This feels like a really good matchup. Uh, first of all, both teams have an opportunity to win. I really don't. It could go either way. Will Russell Wilson make more plays? Will Kirk Cousins pull it out? I don't know. Uh, the Minnesota Vikings, though, are 0-2. And they cannot afford to start 0-3. They keep finding ways to lose football games. And so both teams have a shot to win here. I think the pressure is more on Minnesota to avoid starting 0-3 than Seattle, who, like, no one's getting fired if Seattle loses this game. If Seattle starts, if the Vikings, excuse me, start 0-3, that turns into 0-4, like, people are going to start asking questions. Is it the coach? Is it the quarterback? Like, someone's going to get fired. And so I think the pressure is more on Minnesota this week at home to beat Seattle than it is on Seattle to go on the road and beat Minnesota. Number nine, the final one, Sunday night football, the Packers at the 49ers. I would be shocked if the 49ers won here, uh, but they have beaten Aaron Rodgers a number of times before. And I think the pressure in this game is on 49ers quarterback, Jimmy Garoppolo. If he plays bad, he might lose his job and get benched. And Jimmy G cannot be the reason why the 49ers lose in week three. So that's the storyline there. I'm curious to see what happens. Um, Packers at 49ers. They played a lot of close, fun, interesting games over the years. And I, I think the Packers win this game. But the question mark here is what will happen with Jimmy Garoppolo? Will he play well? Could he get benched? And if he plays poorly, does he get benched for week four down the road? All right. Uh, let's talk about college football. Let me drink some water real quick. It's a pretty boring week of college football, if I'm honest. Uh, You know, Georgia plays Vanderbilt. Ooh, and Auburn plays Georgia State, and Penn State plays Villanova, and Alabama's playing Southern Mississippi. Ohio State plays Akron. Like, there's not a lot of really big matchups. It feels like the big programs in college football are basically all taking the week off. Uh, Now, number nine Clemson at North Carolina State could be good. 
Uh, that feels like it could be an upset. I have been really unimpressed with Clemson's quarterback so far this year. DJ Uwe has been a non-starter. It's not exciting, not creating a lot of offense. I'm curious about uh, Clemson. Could their quarterback cost him a game at North Carolina State on the road? Number 14, Iowa State at 3-0. No, Baylor could be fun. Texas Tech at Texas is interesting to me. Uh, but as I look around college football, there's really only one game this weekend I would recommend you watch and you know, move your schedule around to try to watch this game. Number 12, Notre Dame against number 18, Wisconsin. It's in Chicago at Soldier Field. That's a special venue. That'll be really cool. On top of that, here's some really fun drama. Jack Cohn, Notre Dame's starting quarterback, used to be the quarterback at Wisconsin. He lost his job. He transferred to Notre Dame. Now he's playing his old team this week. That will be really fun and really exciting. I can't wait to see what happens. I think that Notre Dame will win, uh, and that would be a fun moment for Jack Cohn, a guy who had to transfer out to go play. The only other matchup between two top-ranked teams is number 7, Texas A&M, at number 16, Arkansas. Not Arkansas, Arkansas, even though they spell their name very weird. I always have to write R-C-A-N-S-A-W to remember how to spell that <laughs> that state. Uh, both of those games are very early, though. Notre Dame against Wisconsin and Texas A&M against Arkansas. They're like the noon prime games. Really, the evening primetime game is actually on ABC, West Virginia at number 4, Oklahoma. I'm like, ah, I don't... I mean, maybe West Virginia is better than people realize, and Oklahoma is not as good as I think they're ranked. But the game I would recommend watching this weekend in college football is Notre Dame against Wisconsin. Okay, I want to give a shout-out to Fresno State quarterback Jake Hayner. I have loved this guy ever since he transferred out of Washington. I thought at UW he should have been the starter over Jacob Eason. Jacob Eason goes on to the NFL. I think that's why they actually picked Jacob Eason to start in that uh, that year was because— they felt like the potential Jacob Eason had outweighed the maybe master of the mastery of the offense that Jake Hayner had. But Jake Hayner was the better quarterback who moved the ball better that year for Washington. They just chose a guy with more NFL potential, I think, because it looked better. So now Jake Hayner is at Fresno State lighting it up. He's been incredible. His team is three and one. The only loss Fresno State has is to Oregon, who's the number three team in the country. They beat Ohio State. And Fresno State lost to Oregon by seven points. Like, that's a touchdown game. Jake Hayner almost beat them. So uh, I, I really want to give a shout-out to him. Last weekend, I watched Jake Hayner pull off a crazy comeback to beat UCLA. He was making NFL throw after NFL throw. Had great ball placement and a tight window. His back shoulder over the middle into, like, a tiny window. Just really impressive. So I want people to learn the name Jake Hayner. He's a future NFL quarterback. I don't know if he's going to be like Derek Carr was a second-round pick who became the Raiders' starting quarterback. He may not be a first-round pick because he's not the most impressive quarterback physically. But he's a guy who, if you give him a shot, Jake Hayner, I believe, is going to make his name known in the NFL. And keep your eye on the guy. Jake Hayner, a guy who, I, I don't know if he's a first-round pick. People don't like that he's shorter, that he's not the biggest guy in the world. But he will be a guy who, if you give him an opportunity, he's done it everywhere I've seen him play. And I thought he got screwed over at Washington. So, Keep your eye on Jake Hayner. He makes play after play after play. And I think he's doing stuff the NFL scouts eventually are going to say, we can't ignore this anymore. He's really, really good. And I think his, his big like marquee game came against UCLA last week. But just watch him all year. He's going to make more and more plays and wow more and more people. All right, guys, let's end the show with Ask Zach. And if you do not know what it is, it's my favorite part of the show. It's where I read questions from the audience. If you don't know how it works, you go to patreon.com forward slash Zach Shomler. You give a dollar a month. You can give more if you want to. Please do. It literally helps pay my rent. But a dollar a month gives you access to submit questions on Patreon. Now, if you submit a question, I do not guarantee 
to read your question on the show. My only guarantee is I look at every single question with my eyeballs. I pick the top couple, read them at the end of the show. Let me open my notes here. No, it's really just a Google Doc with the questions. Number one, Austin writes in. He says, hey, Zach, not really a question, but more of an interesting thought. On December 27th, 2022, barring an early retirement, Tom Brady will have been an NFL quarterback for exactly half of his life. There were 8,293 days from his birth to him being drafted and 8,293 days from his draft day to December 27th, 2022. I just find it very interesting that it's a possibility that a player can be in the NFL longer than he hasn't. Thanks for all your hard work, Zach. Love the show. So I actually want to, I wasn't planning on reading this, but I'm going to go find another question because I know someone wrote in about this. Um, Joshua also wrote in and said, this is inspired by Tom Brady asking for some questions on his Instagram story. If you had one question that you could ask Brady, what would it be? So here's what I, I want to kind of combine these two questions because I think it's a fun way to do it. Um, if I could ask Tom Brady one question, and the thing that I respond to with you know, Tom Brady, it sounds like he's going to end up in the NFL longer. Like for, for a brief period of his life, he's going to actually be able to say, I've been in the NFL longer than I've been out of the NFL during my lifetime, which is just an unbelievable reality. The question I would ask Tom Brady is this. At what point did he realize that if he can, because you see NFL quarterbacks retire, you know, Joe Montana can still throw the ball really well. And Troy Aikman can still throw the ball really well. Like, when you get older, you can still throw. The thing is your body can't take hits anymore. And, you know, we've seen all these quarterbacks, Peyton Manning, and their bodies break down. Brady at some point realized, if I can focus on the one thing that will allow me to take hits, which is pliability and stretching and, you know, his ability to bend and be flexible. He said, if I can focus on this and really master my body and take care of my body better than any quarterback ever has, I'll be able to play forever. And we're really seeing that because I'm convinced that guys, again, ask Joe Montana. You see Joe Montana throw a football. You're like, oh, he can still throw. Kurt Warner can still throw the ball really, really well. The thing is their bodies broke down. Tom Brady said, I'm going to control this one aspect of my game, which is my body. I'm not going to allow it to break down. And it actually is very crazy to me. So first of all, I wonder when Tom Brady realized that if he took care of his body, it would take care of him. But also on top of that, it's just crazy. Like, why haven't other people copied this? I see... I love Kyler Murray. I see him eat bad food. I see Josh Allen eat bad food. I like see all these guys who it's just, I guess the, the thing it's about amazing with Tom Brady, it's not, I don't blame anybody for eating. I, I love eating bad food. I, I'm gaining a gut because I love in Hawaii, there's amazing food everywhere here. So I can't blame a quarterback like Josh Allen or Kyler Murray or anybody for eating whatever they want and having a good time and enjoying your life, right? Food is an amazing thing you can enjoy. But what's you have to realize about Tom Brady is he said, Okay, no more having like fun food. I I'm going to sacrifice that part of my life to make my career last longer and play more football. That's unbelievable. He said no to really fun, enjoyable things so that he could further his career. And that's the thing that has to stand out about Tom Brady. He sacrificed in ways that other people simply are not willing to sacrifice. And that, to me, is just an unbelievable thing. So if I could have a conversation with one player ever, it would be Tom Brady. I'd love to sit down, talk to him, ask him questions. I just think that... His approach to the game and to life is unbelievable. Okay, now Jake writes in. He says, hey, Zach, Vikings fan and fellow Kirk Cousins non-believer here. <laughs> uh, through the Vikings' first two weeks, however, Kirk Cousins has not been the problem. In fact, in his last two games, he has been a, he's had a 29-3 to touchdown-to-interception ratio. The problem of his team has been on the other side of the ball. Even though Mike Zimmer is an excellent defensive mind, the defense is currently the longest active streak in the NFL for allowing 24 point, 
24 plus points at nine games in a row. For context, next is the Lions at eight games and the Titans at five. So let me back that up. The Vikings have given up 24 or more points in nine straight games, which is the longest active streak in the NFL. Facing Seattle and the Browns for the next two weeks, is Mike Zimmer on the hot seat with an 0-4 start? Absolutely. Um, Vikings ownership is going to start asking questions, saying, is it the coach? Is it the quarterback, Kirk Cousins? Is it both the coach, Mike Zimmer, and Kirk Cousins? Someone's going to have to pay. And if Minnesota can't, like, they paid Kirk Cousins a ton of money. And right, was it Kirk's fault or not? Who knows? But the reality is when ownership gave Kirk a massive contract, fully guaranteed, like $86 million, whatever it was, the belief was Kirk is the final puzzle piece we need to go win a Super Bowl. It hasn't happened like at all. And is that Kirk Cousins' fault entirely? No, it's totally not. There have been parts around him that have failed and not been good enough. And so, again, I, I just wonder, like, who is, who is the Vikings' ownership going to blame? I know that I think it's both. I, I think it's actually more on Kirk than it is on the coach. I think, unfortunately, what's sad is I think Mike Zimmer is an incredible defensive coordinator who, oh, man, I, I can't explain, like, giving up that many points in a row. I, I just know that you, you would think with that defense and him calling defensive plays that your quarterback has to score enough points to make up for that, and, and I just, Kirk hasn't done that. So I, it's a team effort, but I wonder, who is the Vikings ownership going to blame? Kirk Cousins or Mike Zimmer, or maybe both of them. I don't know, but that's what I like. That's how an 0 2 start for the Vikings, their, their whole season has shifted into this thing like, who is going to pay? They're going to have a bad year, it seems like, and who's the person that's going to take the fall? Is it both? Is it neither? I don't know, but keep your eye on the Vikings and their ownership, what they do moving forward with decisions towards the end of the year. Okay, final question today. Lee writes in, he says, if you had 10 minutes to have a conversation with your 16 year old self, what would you say? It's a massive question. Um, I guess I have 10 minutes, right? <laughs> I would tell a young Zach Schaumler to take a lot of risks. Like all, all the regrets I have in my life are the times that I didn't take a risk, you know, especially like playing quarterback. I regret like the throws I regret the most are the times I didn't take a shot downfield. I remember, um, you know, <laughs> man, uh, Trent Dilfer told me before my senior year, like, we got to have a guy who can throw an 18-yard comeback, and you're not that guy, so you're not going to the Elite 11. And that was a a crushing thing for me, and I took that to heart. And I didn't take shots downfield my senior year because I had that voice in the back of my head, and I let his opinion of me influence me. And I just – I should have. I had so many times where I had Marcus Lord, a 6'5 receiver, one-on-one covers with a tiny corner. I'm like, I should have just thrown the ball up many, many times, and I didn't do that. And I'm like, ah, I have deep regret about that. And it wasn't really until my second to last game of my entire high school career where we were we were down 24 to 3 at halftime to a like the best team in the state basically. Max Brown went there Skyline High School. And we came back and won in uh, the second half in a double overtime because I I just decided like screw it. I I'm done being cautious or being careful. I'm just going to launch it deep and take risks and play like I have nothing to lose and I had nothing to lose and I had the best game of my life and broke every record of my school's single game passing uh, records and then the next week I did it again and we lost and I was like ah I finally figured out how to play quarterback right as my career ended in high school so that was really frustrating and I had a coach who my senior year got a new quarterback coach and his approach he, he coached the offensive line before he coached me he played quarterback uh, in college and he just tore into me during our week one game. And my mom always yelled at me 
and I didn't handle him yelling at me very well because of the trauma of my mom yelling at me. And so I shut down and we had a terrible relationship after that. We didn't work well together. I didn't like him. And part of that's on me. Like I, sh- I wish I had the wherewithal to know in that moment, like, hey, just because he's yelling at you doesn't mean he hates you. doesn't mean he doesn't want to coach you up. Like he just, he wasn't coaching me the way I needed. And I wasn't mature enough to know that I didn't even like being yelled at. Like I just didn't even understand why I was having this shutdown reaction. Um, and I, I regret that. And, I, and honestly, I, I had a conversation with the, the Camus high school, uh, head coach, or I guess the former John Eagle used to coach at Camus, which was my high school rival. And no one cares about this, but I'm going to talk about it anyway. Because it does lead somewhere. The thing I would tell myself is go to Camus. I transferred in high school to get on the field and play quarterback because uh, the school I, I was at didn't want me. And I, I went to a better school and won a lot of games, broke all their records. Like, haha, suck it, right? But I should have gone to an even better school. Like, I, I went to a really good school. I should have gone to the best school I possibly could have. And I would not have played my junior year. They had a starting quarterback, uh, a guy named Riley, who's incredible. I, I've DM'd him a lot. He just won the Italian Super Bowl, actually. But in talking to John Eagle... I interviewed him. He's now the Portland State quarterback coach. And I interviewed him like two weeks ago, three weeks. It's been a while now, but it, it was actually maybe a month ago now because it was in, I was in Portland when I did it. Um, but he, and, and I'm sad because I need to put out that interview, but I'm afraid no one's even going to watch it. I'm like, oh, it's so disappointing that, you know, his great content might never come out because I, I need to edit it. But also I think even if it does come out, no one's going to see it because no one's going to watch that. But anyway, I, I was struck by him saying he doesn't yell at people and he's got clear expectations and his level of detail. I, I might have never got on the field at Camus if I'd gone there. I, I might have been a backup for two years in high school. But I actually think I would have had even more fun entrenching the game, learning, growing as a person. Like I, I should have gone to Camus and played for John Eagle. I would have had even more fun there. Uh, now, he, I, I've gone on a long tangent now and I probably pissed off a lot of people in my former high school. I don't, who cares? But I, the thing I would tell myself if I could go back to my talk to my 16-year-old self and say, hey, Zach, take risks. All the best things I've done in my life, move to Hawaii, have a, my, my fiance moved in with me after a month. I went to LA. I went to college. I started a show. Like I, I've done crazy-ass stuff in my life, and they've all been risks, and they've all paid off. And even when they don't work, I, I had a relationship with someone I was uh, really good friends with. I got out of the friend zone, and that failed horribly. It was a big risk to do all that. Even that even though it hurt at the time, it made me a better person. So you can't, if you're taking risks that you are really, you know, you feel like it's, you're convicted in and you really feel like that's the right thing for you, take the risk. Because even if you fail, you're going to learn something and become a better person at the other side of that. And the other thing I would tell myself at 16 is like, Zach, be yourself. There were so many times when I was a kid that I was so uncomfortable with who I was and people judging me. And uh, when my brother died, and, and 20, geez, 2016 now. It's crazy. It's five years now. Uh, when my brother died, it really changed my whole philosophy. I'm like, screw everybody. I don't really care what anybody thinks. Like I, when your brother dies, that feels like the most important thing. And so wearing the right clothing or saying the right things or not cussing or this or that, it suddenly all goes away. Like you just lose all inhibition. You're like, I don't care anymore. If you don't like me for who I am, screw you, get out of here. And I, I wish I could go back and give myself that gift even earlier in my life because it would have been even better for me my senior year in high school. And I just would have like, who cares about that girl or this or that or that person looking at you wrong? Like none of it matters and you're never going to remember it later. So take risks and be yourself is what I would tell myself if I could go back in time and give myself advice. Uh, guys, that is all I have. I love you. I appreciate you. Thank you very much. I, I'm still not fully healed. I'm, just, I'm a little bit sick. I'm on a lot of medicine right now trying to get better, but I, I love you. I appreciate you. I will see you on Monday morning, bright and early. 
Uh, that means I'm recording Sunday night here in Hawaii. And um, I, already, I actually already know exactly what games I'm going to watch and cover. It's going to be really fun. Very straightforward for me. I'm not going to tell you what they are, but I'm like, dude, I cannot wait to watch football on Sunday. It's going to be an incredible weekend. I love you. I appreciate you. Bam, we are done.